Praise the Lord, everyone. Before we take a seat, why don't we one more time lift up a hand clap of praise to the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Before uh, I get us to be seated, I just felt to um, ask us to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4. It reads this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Amen. Um, I don't know why, but I just kind of felt this um, whole, like this phrase come to me this morning. In fact, as we've been on this series about to know Christ, about knowing Him more, and it keeps, I feel like every week God is uh, bringing this scripture to my mind, like, Return to your first love. Return to your first love. You know, and, and just, you know, recalling back that past year, you know. In fact, I think we were almost hitting the one-year anniversary since COVID. Or like circuit breaker, I mean. And it's like, wow, it's been a long time. Eh? It feels so fast, but we've come so far. You know, and, and as I think back, you know, and as, maybe if, as you evaluate how the past year has been throughout this pandemic, I ask myself this question, have I gotten to know him more, this circuit breaker, or have I strayed from him further away? You know, and, and I think that's the, the, the crux of this entire series about knowing him. You know, a lot of these things we are hearing, I mean, a lot of us here, we are here for a long time. We know it, okay? We know the, the Bible stories, we know the Bible theory about what Jesus do for us. In fact, next week is... Uh, Resurrection Sunday. I still remember we did our uh, communion online last year for our care, for our care group, you know, and that was a very interesting experience doing it uh, online. And just thinking back all this, I'm like realized like, hey, what's so fast, eh? You know, uh, in a blink of an eye, COVID one year, and how did I live it out in terms of my relationship with God? But I'm thankful that God never like you know. Uh, great us and say, oh, you fail, uh, you strike you off. But he's always constantly, I feel like, wooing us. He's chasing after us, trying to get a caught us. Why? To get back to this first love. And I feel that that's the, the purpose of this whole series and even leading up to this coming week, uh, celebrating Good Friday, celebrating Easter. I know I, I'm very happy for Good Friday because I'm actually going for reservists next week. So to me, I'm happy because like one day less in camera, I get to book out early. But then I realized, hey, it's not just about the holiday, you know. But why are we celebrating Good Friday? Why are we celebrating Resurrection Sunday? It's because of what Christ has done for us. Amen. And so um, today we're going to be touching the last uh, sesh lesson on this series. And today we're going to be focusing on the foolishness of Christ. I feel like it's very appropriate for next, you know, leading up to uh, Resurrection Sunday. And today we'll be looking at some of the ways of how Jesus, uh, of the ways of Jesus that are up, upside down compared to this world. That many times the ways of Jesus look so foolish to the world. You know, if you tell the world, hey, I come to multi-site on Sundays, they'll tell you, huh, what, COVID eh, you come out for what, you know. You know, sometimes uh, I take the taxi, right, then the taxi driver asks, wow, your, your kid how old, one year old? He's like, no, uh, uh, five months old. So, ah, so young you bring out, you're not scared of COVID. Ah. You know, and, and part of me is like, there's logic to that. Why do I want to bring my 
newborn son out. But yet at the same time, I realized, hey, it's more than just about whether you will get COVID or not. But am I going to bring him up in the ways of the Lord? Am I going to bring him to the presence and to the sanctuary of God? Even though it may seem foolish to the world, but yet it is pleasing unto the Lord. Amen. Amen. So we read from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, and when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Today, as we continue on this uh, series, my prayer for us today is that we will build on solid rock. That when we hear the word of God today, though it may seem foolish to the world, but when we would respond and obey, we are building our house on solid rock because winds are going to hit us, storms are going to come our way, but we will not collapse. Amen. So why don't we join in with me one more time as we pray. Father, as we come together, Lord, I'm thankful, God, that you have brought us thus far, God, as a body, God. Lord, through this entire pandemic, Lord, it's been a year, Lord, since um, we stopped uh, gathering as a whole congregation and going into circuit breaker and how you have brought us thus far, God, out of live stream and even being able to be worshipping in multi-sites. God, I thank you, God. That even though some of the things we do, God, may seem foolish to the world, God, but Lord, I thank you, God, that you have been our prime example, God. And Lord, I pray today, God, that as we are here celebrating, God, of your goodness, as we are here to celebrate your faithfulness, God, that as we look back, we have seen that, Lord, you have protected us from this pandemic. You have protected the entire TJ church, Lord, from this COVID virus, God, that none of us have fallen sick due to it, God. And Lord, we can only give you glory. And Father, today, as we come into your house, God. We come, oh God, to hear your word. We come, oh God, to sit at your feet, God, to know you more, Lord. Just like Mary, God, that she chose the better part, God, and that she sat at your feet just to know you more, God. And so, Father, I pray today, God, as we sit at your feet, God, as we open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, let us receive it with joy. Let us receive your word with gladness, God, and let us mix it God, with faith, God, so that it will profit us, God, so that we will not just walk out of here and fall on deaf ears because, God, we don't want to build our house on shifting sand, God, but today, God, we want to build our house on a bedrock, God, and that is you, Jesus. So, Father, help us today, anoint our ears to hear, anoint my lips to speak your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we one more time clap our hands unto the Lord this morning? Amen. And we also like to welcome our guests and friends who are visiting us at Tabernacle of Joy. You know, if you are repeat, uh, coming again, we are so glad that you are here. And we hope that you will continue to join us, especially next week as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Now, so far in this journey of knowing Christ more, we have looked at a few different uh, subjects about Christ. You know, first we talk about the character of Christ you know, uh, the different titles, what the Bible describes Christ to be, who He is and what He has done for us. Then we also went on to talk about, look at the passions of Christ, the things He was passionate for. 
He was passionate for the Father's word. He was passionate for the Father's house. He was passionate for the Father's plan. He was passionate for the Father's people. And last week, we, we heard Pastor preach to us, you know, uh, talking about the emotions of Christ and that how Christ is not just this robot, this superhero got no emotions to him, but he had emotions. When he came down to earth, he, he was filled with compassion, you know. Um, he was filled with, at the same time, there were moments he was angry. Why? Because he was a passionate man. You know, he, was, he experienced frustration and he also experienced kicksim. You know, when we see, he sees his children, he tells them to do one thing, they do the other, he kicks him, he sighs, you know. And those emotions, why, why do we hear about them? So that when you understand how he feels, you, you, you tend to learn to not. If, you, if you're making, it's like if you make your dad angry, you know. I know sometimes we purposely make our parents upset just to provoke them. But most of the time, you don't want to make them angry, right? So when you know what makes them angry, you wouldn't do what makes them angry. You will do what will make, put a smile on their face. Likewise with Christ. And so each week we have taken the King of Glory out of the box of our current understanding. You know, I still uh, remember Brother Peter was preaching to us the first lesson, talking about how that Jesus is a hard man to pin down. Even up to how many lessons in this series, he is still a hard man to pin down. We cannot put him in a box, but we've got to take him out of our current understanding to come to know him better. And so at the same time, if you kind of miss any of those messages, don't worry. You can go and uh, take a listen again online on our YouTube channel or our podcast to get a refresher. You know, maybe you say, wow, actually, uh, I don't even remember what this whole series is about. You know, I'm guilty of that. I realized that ever since COVID, uh, every time I come for church on Sunday, never hit Wednesday, I already forget what the sermon is about. You know, and then when we come to our care group meetings and do sermon recap, we even forget what the title is. How many are guilty of that? Okay, I, I've, I've been guilty of that. And I realized that, hey, I don't want to, to continue that way. I got to remember what the Word of God is speaking to me about. Okay? So this morning, in our effort to know Him even better, you know, we have chosen to follow and have given our lives to talk about this other subject called the foolishness of Christ. I'm going to read to us 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 28. I'm not going to read all the 10 verses now. And so this is Paul writing to the church in Corinthians. And so the church in Corinthians, these Christians at that time, they were like, wow, they, they were faithful, they were gifted, you know, they, they were like considered very up there spiritually. But there was one thing that Paul was trying to address them. The Christians in Corinthians, they were taking pride in their spiritual achievements. They were like, wow, eh, not bad, eh? I this year teach 10 UTBs. You know, they, and they were taking pride in that. And they wanted to look good. You know, that was the culture that were, they were in, in Corinth. But Paul was trying to tell them, hey guys, don't lose sight of this. Eh? Even in the spiritual things of God, we cannot come to a place that we become arrogant about it. Why? And he was reminding them, about the foolishness of the cross. That when we come in contact with Christ, it's not supposed to make us more proud or more prideful, but it's supposed to make us more humble, more like Christ. So this is what he said. He says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. 
As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Verse 20. So where does this leave the philosophers? In those times, in, it was uh, the day and age where all, a lot of the Greek philosophers were living in, like, uh, who are they? Uh, Aristotle, uh, I can't remember the other philosophers, but basically, they were living in an age where all these Greek philosophers, they were elevated. Why? Because of the way they, uh, they had their discourse, the way they think, the way they debate. The Greeks love it. They love to talk, 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 but then they don't leave it out. Okay? And so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? They were living in a time where the most brilliant mind existed. Where did it leave them? And it goes on to say, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. In verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Amen. The foolishness of preaching. It may seem foolish to the world. Why are we sitting here listening to someone talk about the word of God? What does it do for me? Okay, and so what is the definition of the word here, foolish? Okay, it actually it was very interesting. It comes from the word moria or moros, which actually comes, which actually the English word moron is derived from the word foolish. Usually we only use moron. Hopefully you don't use it, uh, okay, to score someone we don't like. Hey, you, you fool, okay, or you moron, okay. But that's what the word means that the message of the cross is foolish to the world. And so what does the foolishness of Christ mean for us? Why do we have to look at the foolishness of Christ? Okay, We're going to take a look at five different snapshots. Okay, there's a lot of things that Jesus did where that seemed foolish to the world. But we're going to look at five areas today. Okay, But before that, I want to make a statement. Okay, That when I say the foolishness of Christ, I'm not saying that Jesus is a fool. I'm not saying Jesus is an is a idiot. No, far from that. Okay? Or that he did or said foolish things. Maybe the world would think that. Okay? But what I mean by Christ's foolishness is that there's a lot of stuff about Jesus when viewed by those in the world, by the world's standard, by the world's philosophies, by the world's opinion. It will look foolish. It wouldn't make sense. It will seem unwise. It's like, huh? Don't make sense. Why, why, why do you teach your people this way? It will seem unwise to the scholars. It will seem unwise even to the philosophers today. You know, I know we are living in a time where we are bombarded with all kinds of messages, whether in schools. I mean, in schools, you have lecturers, professors that are super intelligent. Okay? Maybe they are more qualified to be a speaker than I am. Because they have intellect, they know how to, to talk all the chim word that, wow, it sounds very good, you know, it sounds right. And we are also bombarded with media. There's a message that the world is trying to bring across to us, whether it's on Netflix, on Disney+, Plus, on YouTube, there's constantly messages that is bombarding our minds, telling us what you should make your life look like. And compare it to what the word says, it's like, wow, the word is so foolish. And why is that so? Because ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since sin entered humanity, 
we have been living in a world that is upside down. See, there's a story about this guy called George Strayton. He was the first, but a lot of people have done it since. Okay, what he did was he invented a pair of glasses. Okay, and when you put them on, it inverted everything he saw. Okay, and turned everything upside down. And he would wear these glasses for weeks at a time. I don't know how he do it. I think I'll get a headache. Okay, I wear 3D glasses already, cannot handle. But this guy, he wear the glasses, everything tobaling one. That had to be crazy to have the sky at your feet and the ground over your head. And then you see the trees hanging down from the sky and birds flying on the ground. And you pour a cup of coffee and instead of going down, you go up. You jump down, but you go up instead. So he was wearing this to, to experiment. And this guy, George, said that at first it was very difficult. Probably he fall down or he tumble and stuff like that. But he said eventually his eyes got adjusted. How many of you like, even for example in the dark, maybe when you first switch off all the light, it's like, wow, pitch black. Then after a while, suddenly your eyes get adjusted, then you, you can actually see a bit in the dark. And same way, he got adjusted, he got used to living in upside down perspective. And he actually lived, learned to live in the upside down world. And he was okay with it. He was able to read, write, and even ride a bike in upside down perspective. But here's the point of this story. People have been wearing upside down glasses of this world for a very long time, ever since the fall of humanity into sin. And we have adjusted to it. For example, with COVID, as much as it is still very inconvenient to wear a mask, we kind of got adjusted to it. Like, you tell me one year ago, you have to wear mask mandatory, but like, huh, so, so inconvenient. But now it's, it's almost second nature. Even you go out, you're wondering, why my mouth feels so naked? It's like, oh, I forget to wear. But we get adjusted to it. And likewise, we have been adjusted to this upside down world. And we believe that what we are looking at through these lenses of the world is normal. And what does normal look like or what does normal not look like? We're going to look at that. And therefore, to the world, what we see in the Word of God that seems so foolish, to them, it doesn't make sense. And sometimes when we tell them, oh, you know, Jesus come to die on the cross for you, it's like, huh? For what? Why would He do that for me? And we're going to look at the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50. See, Jesus didn't leave us like that after the Garden of Eden. But when He came down on earth, he wanted to change things back to what it was originally. He says, I've come to change everything, turn everything right side up, how I long for it to be finished. And when we take some time to look through the scriptures, you will find many examples of his foolishness through the gospel. You know, I don't know how many of you have been, you know, embarking on the gospels to kind of like prepare yourself for Good Friday, for Resurrection Sunday. But I've been doing a bit of that. Of that. I also watched the, uh, the Chosen series. Really not bad. You should go and give it a, a try if you are interested. But when Jesus was on earth, he did a lot of things that was foolish. He came to touch the lepers. Back then, the lepers is considered like 
outcasts, you shouldn't, they're like COVID patients. You don't go and go to the COVID patient and touch them and, hmm, let me breathe in your, 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 your air. No. But that was what Jesus did. If he would be in this time, he would go to the COVID patient and touch them and hang out with them. He would touch the lepers. He would heal on the Sabbath day. He would defend the adulterers. He would befriend prostitutes. He would wash the feet of his disciples. He would throw temple tantrums. He would talk to Samaritans. He would party with tax collectors, eat with sinners. He valued women, which was very counterculture in his days. He would play with the children. He would, in fact, offend the religious leaders at that time, those in power. Doesn't make sense. You want to be an influence, you would want to suck up to the people in authority, in power, right? But no, he instead go and offend them. And of course, the greatest act of foolishness that we see in the story of Christ was him dying naked on a wooden cross. So today we're going to look at five different areas of his foolishness. First, his incarnation. Then we're going to look at his teaching, followed by his networking, followed by his leadership style, and lastly, his cross. His incarnation was foolish. Seems so foolish to the world. Why? We read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. See, his incarnation, it doesn't make sense to the logical mind. Why? God Almighty, like, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who created you, who in the snap of a finger can wipe out everything. And yet, of all things he chose to do, he chose to come down as a man, robe himself in flesh, the one who has all power, all authority, he was omnipotent, omniscient, and yet he chose to put on frail human flesh. A God that couldn't feel physical pain, now could feel it. A God who couldn't bleed, now could bleed. Why? Because of you and I. And he was willing to put aside all of that and more. And someone, when he come down to earth, he not come down as a king or a prince or as royalty, but he came down, born in, not in uh, Glen Eagles Hotel, sorry, not hotel, Glen Eagles Hospital, or not even KK Hospital, but he was born in a manger. Got animals, got the poo-poo of the animals there. A really not clean place instead of a palace. Oh, what foolishness. And then the Jews, they were expecting Messiah to come as this mighty avenger, right? Oh, like Captain America, come and destroy all the enemies, come to destroy all the Roman soldiers, the Roman Empire. But no, like, he come as what? Carpenter. Eh? Wow, doesn't make sense. It's like, if I was God, I'll be like, God, you are you... Stupid or what? You want to set your people free? Why you come as a carpenter? What use is there? So to the world, it was foolish. It doesn't make sense. It is totally inverted. 
And then God came as a baby. He didn't come as a man like, well, at least he's like self-dependent. No, he come as a baby. Depend on a human, depend on one, his creation to feed him, to change his diaper, to put him to sleep, all these things. Why would God do that? See, the greatest, the King of kings and the Lord of lords living in our inverted world is pure insanity, is pure foolishness to the human wisdom. See, if a world leader or a great famous person in our culture will give up all the power, wealth, authority they had to live the rest of their lives in just a lowly state, being a carpenter, I don't think any one of us would think that that is a very wise decision. It's like saying, okay, if you are CEO of a company, you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to quit my job. I go be carpenter. I go help build a cabinet for people's house. And not that I'm the boss of that business. I become the, the kakia in that business. I become the worker. It don't make sense. It don't make sense to this world. Why would you do that? But yet Jesus did that for us. He did that for you and I. And why did Jesus do that? Because, because of our sins, when we fell into sin, at the end of the day, we have to pay the penalty of sin. Someone had to pay for it. But instead of us dying for our sins, He came to pay that price. He came to fulfill that debt. So foolish. But aren't you thankful that He did it still? Aren't you thankful that when you look back, despite how illogical that may have been, aren't you thankful He still came? Aren't you thankful He still came? The next snapshot of His foolishness we're going to see is His teaching. The scholars and the intelligent people and the philosophers of any day or age will laugh at anyone who would teach or let alone live out the teachings of Christ. Because it was counter-cultural, counter-intuitive. Why? Because Jesus would teach us the way up is to go down. The way to be first is to be the last. The way of success is service. The way of attainment is relinquishment, let go. The way of strength is weakness. The way to deal with your mistakes is not to hide or conceal them, but to admit and confess them. The way to overcome hurt is not to get back at your enemy, but is to forgive them. The way of life is death, death to self, death to stuff, death to wants, death to your desires. And God's power is made perfect where? Not in our spirituality, but in our weaknesses. So when we want to be free, God says, Give complete control to Him. You want to be great? Become the least in the kingdom. You want to find yourself? Forget yourself. You want to be honoured? Think of others more than yourself. You want to be lifted up? Humble yourself. You want to get even with your enemies? Bless them, love them, pray for them. See, the ways of Christ is completely polar opposite of what the world will teach us. In Matthew 6, 25, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Well, if you tell someone this, especially in an economic crisis, they will tell you, you'll ah. 
you tell me not to worry. How can I sleep at night? How can I sleep soundly not knowing whether I'll have food on the table tomorrow morning? Whether my children will have a roof over their head? Whether they have clothes to wear? This sounds so foolish. God, why are you telling me not to worry? Those things are important. See, the world and society will tell us to focus on what? You've got to build your life. You've got to take control of your destiny. You've got to go and plan out your future, plan out your career path all the way for success, even until retirement. Am I saying that those things are not important? No. But the truth is, in the midst of focusing on those things, we get anxious. I get anxious all the time. I get worried. Oh, I don't know how. Like, wow. We go to the doctors, then we get anxious. Wow. The report don't look good. Then we anyhow think, get fearful. Even that, in fact, this week I went to collect my uh, medical report. Wow, not good. My cholesterol, not good. Then I start to anyhow think, wow, I'm so young, got this cholesterol problem. How? Anyhow thing. Then I think, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to uh, go and do all these plans. And not that those things are not important. I have to do my part. But there's a tendency for me to get distracted and get so focused on my problems, on the bad report, that I want to take control of my life. Amen. You know, and pastor told me, hey, Charles, don't run siang, don't overthink. Set your eyes on the Lord. Do what you need to do for Him. And He's going to be there to take care of you. Of course, I have to do my part, lah, okay? But what am I saying? It's not that we just throw aside all these cares and don't care and anyhow live foolishly and don't plan, don't save. No, what I'm saying is, the world will tell you, build your life, focus on your career, focus on your family, focus on your future, focus on uh, promotion, focus on climbing the ladder. Don't focus on church. Why? You get nothing out of it, what? But Jesus is telling us, don't worry about these things. Don't fret, don't stress about those things. Society tells us to seize every opportunity you'll get. And maybe some of us uh, have experience in our workplaces, that people are very ambitious. And in the midst of their ambition, in the midst of climbing the ladder, unfortunately, they backbite, they backstab. Some of us may have been the victims of that. And that's how the world rose, this red race that everybody wants to be number one. But Jesus tells us, you want to be the greatest, be the last. You say, ah, God, what do you mean? Do you mean I, don't, I say no to all my promotions? I'll be the most low level in my company. No, that's not what he means. He's saying, your attitude in work is not supposed to be, I chong, I get number one, I want to be the top dog. He's saying, will you serve the people wherever you are? Will you be willing to, to share your wealth? Will you be willing to share your blessings even in the midst of a difficult time? Doesn't make sense to the world. The world says, keep, 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 keep. I need to store up more. But Jesus says, give. Brother Chris said earlier, it's more blessed to give than to receive. See, we live in a world that is so counterculture with what Jesus teaches us. Instead of being the man in charge of your life, Jesus is telling us this in Matthew 6.33. Many of us are familiar with this scripture. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. After he tells you, don't worry, he tells you, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You're like, ah, God, are you serious? I'm barely making it. And you ask me to seek ye first the kingdom. What an inverted way of life. What 
counterculture to what society teaches us. See, this whole idea about seeking first the kingdom in living out his principles, his teachings, I mean, we know it. We know the teachings. We know it by heart. We can memorize scripture. But what is it supposed to look like when we live it out? I don't know about you, but I feel that ever since pandemic hit, it's a bit harder to live this out. Especially when you are work from home. Nobody look at you, right? But I remember as I was thinking about this message that I was remembered in uh, secondary school days. In fact, that was when I kind of like started to get more intentional about my walk with God. You know, uh, and I realized there were so many things I did that were foolish. That were, sometimes I think about it, I go, oh, very paise. I still remember like last time, uh, I don't know if the school still do it now. Uh, morning assembly is where you will take out your book and read, right? Firstly, I hated to read. But I just thinking that at that point, hey, I have so much free time to read, right? So what would I do? I brought my living logos to school assembly. I brought my Christian books to school assembly to read. Okay, I was stopped short of bringing my Bible. Lah. I don't think I was courageous enough to pull out my Bible to read during assembly. But I did it. I, I read my living logos. I read those Christian books during school assembly. Why? Not because I had to please anyone. No one to please. At that point, I don't even have any title in church. Nothing to please. Why? I just wanted to know him more. Not that reading Living Logos makes me a very spiritual man, but that's all I knew to do. You know, I I still remember in, I was learning some spiritual disciplines being in secondary school. Maybe to you, you think, hi, so are you sure not? You're so young, why you want to try that? I was learning what it means to fast. I will go to school, I will fast recess. Okay, there were times I say I will fast, but I end up still go and buy food. La. But I remember there were times in school when I'm fasting, I will go to this corner of school where there was nobody. I'll sit down on the bench and try to pray. Don't make sense. Now I look back, I was like, why am I doing that for what? It's so foolish. But you see, as we build on pleasing Him, just like what we started off earlier in, what are we building our lives on? Bedrock or shifting sand? See, I know those things may seem trivial, like, ah, it doesn't amount to much. But I strongly believe those were the building blocks of my faith today. So foolish. And then in, and then in many times in school, people knew I was a Christian. Okay, I, I wouldn't say I was the most A-star Christian, okay? Um, still had my struggles. But my friends knew I was a Christian. You, they would talk to me about my faith, ask me, what will you do, what you will not do? And my friends will make fun of me, say, hey, holy man is here. I hated it. Firstly, I hated to go to school because I always felt so uncool. And then on top of that, people are making fun of me. Holy man come already. Wow. Then you start to ask me questions. Oh, how did the Bible say this? Did God say this? And it challenged my faith. And it seemed so foolish, like, God, why am I doing this for? And then moving on to my poly days, also very foolish. Uh, I still remember I would spend a lot of time in church, you know, and, and why? Because that was all I knew to do. I would come to church, the office, I would help, you know, whatever work needed to be done, whether it's uh, design something. And I still remember very firstly, my first ministry, right, was not teaching Bible study or preaching. My first ministry was photocopy bulletin. 
And you think about it, huh? Nothing, nothing glamorous about that. But I enjoy every moment. Every weekend, I look forward to go to the church office to photocopy bulletin. And then when someone takes my job, I get very upset. Because I say, eh, that's mine, why you touch it? But why? Because that was me who said, Lord, I want to get involved with you. But the beauty of these things that may seem foolish to you, how, what does photocopying bulletin have to do with my walk with God? It was not just about the task, but it was a principle that I was learning as a young person. And I want to encourage those that are young here today. Okay, I know we are all maybe young at heart, okay, but those who are of a younger age, you're never too young to serve God. And don't let anyone tell you like, hey, wow, I do one thing, I carry the, the bag down here to set up, connect the wire. That is meaningless. Eh? Don't make an impact at all. Don't let anyone lie to you. Why? Because those are the foundation stones you're laying in your walk with God. You're building on bedrock. And I want to thank the parents, you know. Thank you, Brother Kel. Thank you, Sister Annie, for allowing Asher and George to come early to help set up the sound system. It may seem like, huh? Are they going to be sound engineers in the future? No, it doesn't matter. It's learning what it means to get involved in the kingdom. Why? Because then they realize this act of connecting the wire is not just about the sound, but it's about, I love Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes to put a smile on his face. And the beautiful part is this. In the midst of serving him, in the midst of finding the little things to do for the kingdom, I found my sweet spot. I suddenly realized, hey, wow, well, I want to make a decision for what cause to choose. It's not very difficult because somehow in the midst of serving God, I found, hey, this one I don't mind doing. And I did it. And see, God, you can never outgive God. Amen. You may think that His teachings are illogical, are foolish. Huh, you asked me to give when I got so little. But you, don't you realize this? When you stick by His word, He will prove to you that, hey, you can never outgive me. And in fact, you know, this is something also very foolish okay, to the world. Usually, poly internship, you want to get an internship in a company that is, uh, what do you call that? Uh, that is good, right? That will look good on your resume. And that's so that maybe in the future, when you come out of poly, you want to go look for a job, you go back to that company that is, looks good. Uh, but I, I chose something very different. I was so much desire to just serve the kingdom. And I'm not saying everyone needs to do this, okay? This is my story, okay? I, I requested, teacher, I said, teacher, can I do internship in my church or not? Unheard of, eh? I don't know if anyone ever did it. My teacher said, sure, why not? As long as the, the, the scope of the work fits the cost, go for it. And, I, and, 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 and it happened. I did my internship in the church office and it was so awesome. I enjoy every moment of it. Maybe the, the internship pay is not high, but it's really regardless. I had the best time of my internship. Yes, it may seem foolish to you, but to me then, that was me saying, Lord, I just want to be doing what you want me to do. And so, even when it comes to choosing careers, I know uh, some of you may be uh, finishing uni or some are in the midst of uni, and you are thinking about all this. And I'm, once again, I'm saying, it's not that we don't care about we anyhow choose a job. No. But it's the principle behind making those decisions. Are you making that decision because the money looks good? Or because say, or you're saying, God, you asked me to be there, I will go. You know, and, and when I was deciding this, 
decision to work full-time. It was a very foolish decision to the world. It was a very foolish decision to my relatives especially. In fact, up to this day, uh, when I go and visit my relatives and they find out I'm working in the church, they will, somehow to them, it's not considered work. It's like, hey, when will you find a proper job? In my head, I'm thinking, isn't it a proper job? I get paid every month. I get CPF. Why is it not a proper job? You know? And it, it sounds foolish. Okay, once again, I make a statement. I'm not saying everyone needs to work full-time. My point is, that was where the Lord directed me to go. He opened up that door for me. And the people of the world, they will not understand. They never understood me. In fact, when I got married, they said, hey, you're getting married already. Ah. You've got to look for a better job. Ah. Hey, you got a kid already. Ah. You need to look for a better job. Ah. But I think I would move if God say go. But He never say go. So, what do I do? Should I please the world or should I please God that has kept me thus far? And for many of us also, you know, being a Christian, being an apostolic Christian especially, we know that there are some lifestyle convictions that we live by, whether as men or women. And to the world, it looks foolish. Hey, why must you dress this way? Why must you live this way? Why you don't want to go party? Why you don't want to go club? Why you don't want to go and have a good time? Go have fun. Why you don't watch this? Why you don't watch that? Why you don't join us for this, some drinks? Why? It looks foolish to the world. But I want to encourage you, the ways of the Lord, the ways of Christ are inverted to what the world wants us to do. And sometimes in the midst of living for Christ, it is tough. We get discouraged because I don't think any one of us purposely want to look weird. But you see, that's what I struggled with a lot growing up in secondary school, in poly, and even up to where I am today. I'm someone that has a lot of fears. Why? Because I'm always afraid of what people think about me. I struggle with low self-esteem, low, uh, a lot of insecurity. Why? Because all my life, I wanted people to like me. Very normal, right? Who do want people to like you? I wanted people to like me. But yet, at the same time, I have, on, on this part, I have this desire to, to please God. And sometimes, I always have this fear that, hey, when people talk to me, right, they will think I'm very weird. Eh? You know, even uh, at this age, when I go to, like, I'm going back reservists, you know, people ask me, hey, what's up? How's work? Hey, what are you doing for work? Ah? Then I get very, very scared to say, oh, I work for church. Okay? I mean, that's my flesh, okay? I feel very paisay, like, ah, then people will start to ask why you work for church, why all these questions start to come up. And sometimes in the midst of that question, I will always have a decision. Should I tell them I work for church? Or should I tell them, oh, I'm doing uh, my own business, doing uh, video work? Both are true, la, but when I have a lapse of faith and don't feel so bold, I'll say, oh, I, I do my own business. Don't sound so weird, right? But then again, that's where God reminds me, hey, why are you so paisay? Why are you so paisay? For what? Are you ashamed of me? You know, and, 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 and I think we sometimes that's normal. We struggle with those things. You know, and I want to encourage those that are here today. Sometimes our loved ones, the closest people in our family, they will attack us. Why you do this? Why you do that? But I want to encourage you that you have, a, you have brothers and sisters here. You have a body of Christ. You have the family of Christ here that will be with you, even when people don't understand, even when the world doesn't understand why you do what you do. 
but you don't have to be afraid because at the end of the day, God will never do wrong by you. I want us to lift our hands for a moment and I want us to pray. Father, I, I know that when it comes to living out your teachings, God, when it comes to living out, Lord, this Christian faith, I know, God, that that many times, God, we get misunderstood, God, that we get misjudged, oh God, and, and people around us think that we are too crazy for you, we're too radical, God. And sometimes those things get to our mind and we start to question, Lord, why am I doing this for? Do I have to really do this? Do I have to live this way? Do I have to look this way? But God, I pray, Lord, you are a God of your word, God. You say that when I seek ye first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, that all these things will be added unto me. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for everyone that is here, God, that some of us may be in this time where we are struggling, oh God, with our faith, struggling to, to, to stand up for you, God. But God, I pray that just as you have stood for me, God, that as, as you have stood for many of us, I pray that you will come, oh God, that you will step into this situation, God. Lord, I don't know who you are speaking to or who you are reaching out to today, God, but Lord, I know, God, that in the midst of this struggle, God, in the midst of this battle of wanting to stand for our, our, our word, for your word, for our convictions, Lord, I pray that you will be our defender, God. I pray that you will come through, God, in those moments when we feel, God, so ashamed, God. I pray that your presence will come in a very special way. I pray God, as we choose to set ourselves apart, as we choose to live a life that is holy unto you, God. Lord, that even though the world may not understand it, God, Lord, I pray that you will meet with us, God, that you will validate us, God, that you will validate, God, our choices, God, by your blessings, by your presence in our lives, God. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you will lift up, God, those who are feeling down and discouraged today, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Bishop Ellis often says this quote, that if you please God, you will please all that matters. The next snapshot of Christ's foolishness is his networking. See, so much of what happens in our world today is all about networking. You've got to know the right people, have the right connections, then you can climb up or get the right job, get the best lobang, get the best opportunities. So here's the definition of networking, is to cultivate people who can be helpful to one professionally, especially in finding employment or moving to a higher position. Once again, it's a great thing. It's a great thing to have a good network. Okay, but when it comes to Jesus' network, it don't make sense also. Even for me, like, if I was Jesus, I, I wouldn't be like that. Okay? But he was trying to tell us something here. See, instead of him building rapport and building quanxi or connection with the religious leaders, you know, if you wanted to topple the empire, you would want to have connections with the people in power. But Jesus didn't. Instead, he criticized them. It's like, for example, if you want to go into politics, government, okay, you don't go and criticise the party you want to join, criticise the movement that you want to be pushed forward. But he did that. He rebuked them. He embarrassed the Pharisees publicly. That's, that's, that's unheard of. That's so weird. 
And instead, right, he chose to network with who? He chose to network with sinners. He chose to network with the poor. He chose to network with tax collectors. He chose to network with prostitutes, network with unlearned fishermen. He chose to network with women, children, the sick people, the demon-possessed people. Talk about foolish. That doesn't make sense at all. Talk about a lousy business strategy. That doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus do that? But he was trying to show us something. He was trying to show us that the kingdom of God that he was establishing, it wasn't a physical kingdom to just wipe out the Roman Empire. He was trying to establish the kingdom of God. And he was showing us uh, the principles of what this inverted kingdom looked like. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners, the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? Even the Pharisees were puzzled. Like, you are a man of the word, you are a rabbi, you are a great teacher. Like. To them, they're like, why don't you join us? Why don't you join us? But instead, he go and join the tax collectors, the, the sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When he came down on this earth, he didn't network with the CEOs, the prime ministers, the presidents, the generals. I mean, if I get into their good books, I can do a lot of things, but no. He went to the lowest. He reached out to Zacchaeus. He reached out to Simon the leper. He talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. They were considered outcasts. In fact, at that point in time, the Jews would never associate with a Samaritan. But if not for that meeting with the Samaritan woman, the gospel would not have reached the Samaritan people. He hung out with Peter, the tech, uh, sorry, Matthew, the tax collector. Nobody liked him. He spent time with Peter, Andrew, John, James, unlearned fishermen, not people with PhDs, bachelor degrees, diploma. These people had nothing. Uneducated. Doesn't make sense. You know, uh, many times I'm guilty of this whenever I get assigned a UTB. Many of us want to reach out to those got high potential, rather. On the, off, on the get-go already, wow, looks good, man. This guy, wow, imagine he become Christian, he'll be steady one. Why? Because that's how our human minds are, are wired. I'm not saying those people are not good, that God will never reach them. But we have this bias that we want someone that really looks good, right? Or a good job, you know, good position of power. You know, many times Jesus will reach to those people in power. But you see, many times we, we have this bias that we want uh, to reach to people of this kind of image. No one will go and think, I'm going to reach out to grandma that is sick. Why? Like, don't make sense, why? She's going to die already, what? Why invest in her for what? I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but to the human wisdom, that is why. Why do I invest in someone that is so old and not going to make a difference in the kingdom? But you see, that's not the way Jesus worked. To him, every soul is precious. Irregardless how young you are or how old you are, aren't you thankful that of Christ's foolishness? Because if not, many of us will be disqualified. And he also associated with Simon the Zealot. He was a terrorist, a radical at that point in time. Pretty crazy, right? 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. How many of you fit that category? I mean, not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I think all of us here know noble birth, right? But I love verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised the things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. In, in the story of the woman with the alabaster jar, I'm not going to read the, the whole scripture, but I'm going to talk about that story. When Jesus was invited to the Pharisee's house for a party, for a gathering, for a meal, there was this woman that came in. They called her a sinful woman. I don't know what she did. I don't know whether she was a prostitute, but she came into the Pharisee's house. Talk about standing out. Talk, talk about looking like a fool. She came in to the feet of Jesus with the alabaster jar. One year worth of her salary. She broke it and anointed his feet. What a foolish thing to do. Why would you do that? Isn't 10% enough? Why you give the whole year of salary for? So foolish. And as she poured, even the disciples said, hey, why you do that? It's such a waste. So foolish. But Jesus stopped all of them, the Pharisees, his disciples, and he said this story. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And the Pharisee replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And he said, you judge correctly. And he turned to this woman and said, do you see this woman that came into this house that no one washed my feet because you guys were so lofty in your positions as Pharisees. You didn't even give me water to wash my own feet. You didn't even honour me. But this woman came into this party, talk about a party crasher, looked like a fool, come to be scrutinised by everyone there. And she anointed his feet, and she worshipped him at his feet. Don't care about what the people think about her. And he said, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But who... Whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. You see, the reason why we sit here today and we can be recipients of His love is because of this great God. Irregardless of whatever sin you may be carrying today, whatever past you may have, whatever things that may have happened in your life, I want to tell you that Jesus does not disqualify you. That even if the world disqualifies you, even if your friends think you are weird and see you, that you're not cool and you're not really have anything to offer, 
but I want you to know that Jesus is inviting you with open arms today. Don't let the world define who you are, but let Him tell you who you are, that you are wonderful and beautifully made. Sometimes we may wonder of all the people in Singapore, why did He choose us, TJ, to teach and preach and preserve this apostolic doctrine? Why don't you just call the mega church? Makes more sense, right? More effective, what? More rich, right? You know, they talk about engagement. Why choose us, like, so small church, you know, we, don't, we have to break up into multi-site. Why, why do you choose us? I'm thankful that he did. Because you see, Jesus works in inverted ways. He will use the foolish. He will use the poor. He will use the uneducated to shame the strong, the wise, the educated. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't disqualify you today? Why? So that no man can boast. Another thing that was foolish about Christ was his disciple, uh, leadership style. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 to 28, it says, Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus' way of leadership very different. For us in in society, I'll just give an example of army. Leadership, you go to command school, right? Your path is, I go OCS or I go to SCS. If I become man, I don't equate that as being a leader. If I want to be an officer, I need to chong all my IPPT. Okay, I, I'm not saying that that's not good, okay? Uh, great job to Zach. You did your best. You got to OCS. I'm not saying that you are out of course. But... The world's way of doing things is, I got to be number one to become a leader. But Jesus' way of being a leader is, I got to be the last. I got to be the lowest, to be a servant. I will be considered the greatest in the kingdom. In fact, his disciples had an argument. They were dis disputing, hey, who, which one of us will be the greatest in eternity? Which one of us is going to sit beside Jesus? Which of us is going to be the best? Very normal. And Jesus told them, He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? To the human mind, the one that is greater is the one that sits at the table. The customer always right, right? The, the waiter always wrong, ma. That's the way the world rolls. But Jesus is saying the greater is the one that serves. See, this way of leadership is completely opposite of how the, way oper the world operates. In the wet, red race of life, like I said, there's so much backstabbing. You've got to be number one to be the best. But Jesus taught us a very different kind of leadership. In fact, the leadership that Jesus came to do is not the, the, the manager kind like, hey, come, I want you to do this. He didn't tell his disciples, ah, I want to do this, 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 this. Then he sit there and do nothing. But Jesus' type of leadership was what we call a servant leadership. He led by his example of being a servant. And so why, why do we learn about this? Because I want us to be reminded that as we, one of the ways to know him more is to be like him. And to be 
a servant leader like he is. So I want to encourage you, for us to be like him, I want you to find, find a way to serve someone today. Find a way to serve someone this week. See, many of us have this desire of this question. We have always this grand question in our minds. What is the call of God in my life? What has God called me to be? Anyone have ever thought of that question? What has God called me to be? And I believe for those who want to be greatly used of God, you would think of like, oh, I want to be a, a man of God, I want to be a preacher, I want to be a teacher UTB, I want to be a care group leader, or whatever that may be. Unfortunately, sometimes those things also now look not very uh, attractive, unfortunately, nowadays. Okay? But growing up as a Christian, I always wanted, oh, God, what you call me to be? I wanted to know the call, call of God in my life. And some of us here sitting here, whether you are young or old, some of us will still be having the question, what did God call me to do? And we want God to tell us in a voice from heaven, oh, I have called you, Peter, I have called you to become a missionary. They were like, okay, God, yes, I will go be a missionary. But unfortunately, God doesn't work that way. There are so many examples that have gone before us to show us what this foolish way of leadership looks like. We see in the life of Bishop Willoughby. You know, we always remember him as the, he's the pastor, a great preacher, right? But he started off his ministry not as a preacher, a big-time preacher. Right? He started off as a janitor, cleaned the toilet in his church. Nothing impressive. Sounds so foolish. Even pastor, he shared about when he first started serving the Lord, you know, he talked about his experience in Singapore. It's not he was preaching, eh? He was cleaning the floor, cleaning the toilet. Nobody looking. Many times, Brother Sam also shared, his first ministry was not teaching Bible study, even though he's a great teacher. His first ministry was setting up the chairs in the Chinese ministry and packing it back up. So insignificant. But that was what the beginning of what it meant to be like Christ. See, one thing I want to encourage us, especially for, especially in the, the pandemic time, we don't have this opportunity to go HQ and then find, you know, hey, oh, what you want me to do? We don't have, I, I kind of miss that. But I don't want us to forget this. You know, many of us are familiar with this thing. The need is the call. You know, and, and we never graduate from servanthood. Especially in pandemic. Honestly, sometimes it feels like the opportunities are lesser. Multi-site, actually not much to do. Uh. Just come here, sit down. But don't you realise that the people sometimes serving every week is the same people? But I want to encourage us, don't, we'll never graduate from servanthood. And we cannot lose touch of what it means to be a servant because when we graduate from being a servant, we are graduating from being like Christ. So whether it may be serving in your homes, your parents may get a surprise when you start to serve in the home, clean your house, clean your room. I'm talking to myself. My wife will tell me, hey, you've got to clean your room. Am I going to be a servant in the home? And could it be that through our service in our homes, through our servant leadership in our homes, that our parents, our loved ones will want to like, hey, something changed. Tell me what changed in your life. Serve in your workplaces. Find a way to be a blessing to someone this week. 
we hear the word B-L-E-S-S, right? You begin with prayer, you listen, you eat with someone, then you serve them. Instead of backstabbing them to, to not share your info or what, serve them. Help them out. Even if it doesn't make sense in you getting a promotion, and then when the time comes, you share your story. See, that is how Jesus' ministry looked like in the gospel. Serve in the body of Christ. Find a need, whether it be a ministry, whether it be something you don't need a title to serve in the kingdom of God. I encourage, you know, young or old, serve in your care groups. I know many times we come to care group, we just come back from a busy day at work and we just want to sit back, relax and just receive and receive. But could it be God is saying, I want you to be like me. I want you to serve. I want you to lead. And sometimes we can lead in the middle. You don't need to be the top dog to lead. You can lead in the middle. You can lead as the lowest. Serve in your care groups. Find out what is something you can do for your leaders to make them a success. Because in the midst of you doing that, God will make you a success. God will reveal to you your call in your life. And I want to thank God for those who, uh, yesterday our kids had a, I believe they had a great time at HQ. Finally, after one year of not being able to worship together. And I want to thank God for all of the kids' church teachers and the team. Why? Because it's not easy. Eh? They teach online, on Zoom, on Saturdays. They have to prepare. And then they wake up at nine before 9 in the morning to prepare that. And yesterday, they, they took the opportunity to prepare HQ. And now, you have kids' church in HQ. is not as simple because you have to have your safe distancing. And you see all these things that may go unlooked. You may say, hey, what about nothing post on social media? Eh? Nothing to publicize about. But yet, they did it. Not for you and I. They did it for God. They did it so that the children will get a hold of God. And so, what may seem so foolish to the world puts a smile on his face. And the last snapshot of what Jesus did was his cross. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To the world, the crucifix was foolishness. To the world, the cross was failure. Talk about Messiah, right? You die, ah. You lose, eh? game over. But no, he was victorious because his ways are upside down. We sang earlier about the victor's crown, that when he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day, what does that mean for you and I? It means that he conquered death and the grave. He conquered every fear. He conquered that so you and I can be here today. See, a crucified Messiah defied all Jewish reasoning. Every hope they had in a Messiah was a strong, powerful king coming to defeat their enemies. They wanted a powerful, conquering hero and instead, they got a stumbling block. Yes, to the Jewish mind, the cross was a contradiction and to the Roman mind, a crucified God was just plain ridiculous. When the Roman soldiers were crucifying Christ, they mocked him. Say, oh, call yourself king of kings. Come down. Come down from the cross and destroy us. Come down from the cross and set your people free. In fact, they were gambling over his clothes. It was an insult. 
But yet, Jesus endured the cross. He endured the foolishness of the cross. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross for you and I, it was not something fashionable. In fact, in those times, it was reserved for the criminals that commit the worst crimes. And Jesus, of all people, he was sinless, he was innocent, and yet he was charged with the worst punishment. He didn't choose the easy route out when it came to dying for our sins. He chose the toughest route. That when he bought and paid for our sins, he didn't say, okay, I will purchase your forgiveness on Lazada flash sale. He went for full price. And that is what the foolishness of Christ looks like. See, ultimately, us knowing about the foolishness of Christ should translate into the way we live. We talk about the character of Christ. Why? So that we can be like Him. We talk about His passion so that we can be passionate like Him. We talk about His emotions so we can feel like Him. So why do we talk about the foolishness of Christ? It's so that we can be fools for Him just like he was for us. And so when you translate to us being fools for Christ, what does that look like? And I'm going to close with this story. We're going to take a look at an event in the life of David. David was called a man after God's own heart. We all want to be called that, right? I want to be a man after, a woman after God's own heart. But are we willing to look like a fool like David? In 2 Samuel 6, 13-21, the context of this story was that David has just been crowned the king of Israel, okay? the top dog of Israel. Okay? He has defeated the Philistines, he recaptured the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwelt within the cherubim. If you have no idea what the Ark of the Covenant is, free advertisement, sign up for a UTB one of the best Bible studies that will help you understand about God's story from Genesis to Revelation. And so this event was a big deal for David, him bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Think of it as our NDP. It's a big deal, parade, which flags out all the military vehicle, everything we can showcase, we showcase everything, show hand. Same thing for this occasion. There was a show hand. Every few steps, they took on the way back to Jerusalem, they will slaughter an offering, sacrifice, burn it to the Lord, they will sing. That was an amazing parade of celebration of the return of the presence of God to Jerusalem. So most of the time when you watch like those parades, for example, you watch NDP, then when the president come by, then you wave, she wave, or when all the MP all come down, the prime minister, oh, they look... Wow, they're very, very usay, right? They look very uh, uh, 
noble. They look like they carry themselves so well. You don't see the president when he's celebrating NDP look like a fool, look like a joke. But David, let's see what he did. In verse 13, after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and fattened a fattened calf. What does it mean? He got himself dirty, he got a lot of blood. Eh? Okay? He danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. And so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, which is his wife, looked down from her window. And when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And instead of like celebrating him, hey, that's a great job. You did a great job leading this parade, this celebration. Instead, she criticized him. And she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today. She was being so sarcastic to David, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. Why? Because to the royalty, that was not a way the king should act. The king should have been all prim and proper, don't act so radical, don't act so crazy, carry yourself well. But David wasn't doing that. Kings don't disrobe and dance in public. See, David wasn't a flasher that he just tore kuang, okay? He was really into it. He was just worshipping God extravagantly. He didn't really care what people think. And in fact, he, it's not that he danced until he became naked. Okay? He danced until his king garment fall off. And what was inside was a priestly garment. Very plain, white linen, very normal. But to a king, that was shameful. Ah, your kingly garment, you doan, you look like a commoner. And so no one knew better than the daughter of Saul because she grew up as the king's kid. But you see, David was not concerned of his image. He didn't care what people thought about him. But rather, he, all he wanted that day was to please his God. That was all he was consumed with. He was being a fool for Christ. He was being a fool for God. Because what he knew was this. It was not just a parade that would look good on his resume. I mean, if I was the king that brought back the Ark of the Covenant, that would look really good on my resume. But that was not what David was concerned about. He knew what it meant when the presence of God would come back to Israel because he was saying, Lord, one thing have I desired of you and that will I seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. See, the words that David penned down was not just words to sound good. He actually meant it. He lived it out. So what will you and I do to get the presence of God back in our lives? Will we look like a fool to the world? to get the presence of God in our lives? Or will we want to look all prim and proper, don't ruffle the clothes, to please the people, to please the world? Or will we go all out crazy for God so that we can get His presence back in our lives? See, when we think about it, if you were to evaluate yourselves today, is there anything about your Christian life or about the way you live that looks foolish to the world? Is there any decisions you make in your life that when you tell someone that doesn't know God, 
And to them, they say, ah, you made that kind of decision. That seems so foolish. If every decision and how you live your life does not make people think you're foolish, then maybe we need to relook into our lives. Could it be we're living almost no difference from what the world lives? There were many times in, in my life, I still remember in army, my platoon sergeant asked me, hey, bro, you got to watch this or not? And I told him, sorry, sir, I don't watch this kind of stuff. You know, I choose not to watch unwholesome content. He said, huh, really, bro? Like, it's not normal, what? Guys, you know what I mean. And so to the world, it's a norm. There's nothing wrong. Everyone does it. And at that point when I said it, the devil was saying, look, you look so, you sound so weird. Why don't you just be like them? Nothing wrong, right? But you see, that's what it means. Is our life in any way look like a fool to the world? And if it is, I want to encourage you. Don't stop doing it. Because we're going to be like David. We're going to be a man after his heart. I want us to watch a video real quick. If you can, uh, can me flash up that video. That I thought was really very touching. พ่อที่ไม่เป็นใบพ่อที่ไม่เป็นใบพ่อที่ไม่เป็นใบพ่อที่ไม่เป็นใบพ่อที่ไม่เป็นใบพ่อที่ไม่เป็นใบพ่อ
บางทีอาจจะไม่มีพ่อที่ดีที่สุดแต่มีพ่อที่รักคุณมากที่สุดดูแลคนที่ดูแลคุณเมื่อเราเลือกไปในชีวิตของพวกเราเราเห็นว่าพระเยซูเป็นคนที่ทำงานมากที่สุดในชีวิตของพวกเราเราเห็นว่าพระเยซูเป็นคนที่ทำงาน
died of cancer, gave up their life in the US to be a missionary here in Singapore. It's so foolish, why would you do that? They had all their dreams and futures taken away from them when they died for the gospel. But if not for that, I wouldn't be here today. If not for them being a fool for Christ, you would not be sitting here today. And so instead of trying to make your Christianity and your faith look normal to the world, why don't we go back to living it out? That the world may think we are fools. I'm going to close with this scripture in Matthew 5, 10-16. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, this is what God has called us to be, to be fools for Him, that we are called to be the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth will stand out. The light of the world is going to stick out like a sore thumb. That when people see the way you live, from the things you say, the things you do, the choices you make, the way you look, they're going to immediately say, you are, you are so different. And when you hear them say that, take comfort in that. Hey, I'm like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Of course, I don't mean you go and act all weird, go on a train and start speaking in tongues, okay? But I mean to live it out, what it truly means to be a Christian. To go all out as a fool for Christ. There's this story that really got me thinking, and I'm really going to close with this story. A red-hot evangelist dressed in the morning coat and striped trousers and wearing a topper hat walked down a busy street in London one day. As he approached people walking in the opposite direction from him, read with amusement, smiles and jeers the words he had printed in large on a card fixed to the ribbon of his hat. A big sign he said, the words were, a fool for Christ's sake. He was saying that I am a fool for Christ's sake. People see then they heard, they laugh at it, they make fun of him. What a fool, why you say that? And as he walked past them, they turned to have another look at him, who thought that this guy is a religious maniac. He's so crazy, what a fool. And they couldn't help. There was another card at the back of his head, which read, Whose fool are you? Shall we stand? And I want to ask us the question today, whose fool are you? Because if you are not a fool for Christ, you are by default a fool for something else. You become a fool for the world. See, the world makes it seem normal. When you go crazy, party, live out, do all these things that seem to be normal to the world's standards, 
But actually, if we look at it, it also looks like a fool. Lah. Like, for example, if you get drunk and puking in the toilet bowl, I mean, if you really look at it, how glamorous is that? You also look like a fool. But to the world, it's not. It's normal. So the question for us today is, whose fool are you? I want to be a fool for Christ. So why don't we lift our hands, church? Father, as we are here this morning, God, Lord, I know that today's message, Lord, is not a message with beautiful words, but Lord, it's just simply a, a, a message to call us back, God, to what it really matters, God. Lord, you are reminding us, God, of all that you have done for us, God. Lord, as we are gearing up, God, to Good Friday, God, we are reminded of the cross. We are reminded of why you came down, roped yourself in flesh, Lord. We are reminded, God, of all that you have spoken to us in your word, God. And many times I struggle with it, God, because, Lord, it seems to not make sense, Lord. It's struggle, Lord, to, to let go of my life, God, and to embrace your word, God. Because to the world, it's foolish, God. To the people that are out there, Lord, they are making fun of me. Why am I living like this? Why do I look like this, God? But Lord, today, God, you're reminding us, God, of the real meaning of why you became a fool for us, God. It's so that you would bridge the gap, God. It's so that you would die for our sins, God. That you bore the shame of the cross. You hung there, Lord. You were God. You were the great almighty God, the God of the universe, the King of kings, that you were willing to endure the shame of the cross for me that you were willing to die the worst kind of death for me, that you were willing to bleed for me. And Father, I pray today, God, as we are reminded of your foolishness, God, on the cross, God, Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would reignite, God, our love for you, God. Lord, this is a call back to our first love, God. Back to the time when we first got born again. Back to the time when we first knew about you. Back to the time when we first experienced your goodness. Back to the first time we heard about what you've done for me, God. Back to the first time when I was filled with the Holy Ghost. When I was baptized in the name of Jesus, God. I was so on fire for you, Lord. I will do foolish things for you. I will do things that look so strange to the world. I wouldn't care what people thought about me. I will just do it because, Lord, I was desperate to please you, God. Because all that mattered was you, God, and nothing else, God. But, Lord, I confess, God, I repent, God, that they have been in the midst of life, God, with distractions, Lord, with the cares of life, that I lost sight of that, God, that I became affluent, God, that I became, oh God, thinking that I have got it all together, and Lord, I, I, and I've strayed away, God, from looking foolish for you. I just want to be all prim and proper. I just want to blend in with the world. God. I want the world to accept me, thinking that that is the way they will come to know you, God. But Lord, your ways are inverted, God. Your ways are different, God, because you will use the, the foolish things of the world, the foolish things in life to shame the, 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 the wise, oh God. You will use the weak to shame the strong, oh God. And so, Father, tonight as we are, today as we are gathered here, God, Lord, we don't want to come all prim and proper. We don't want to come as if we got it all uh, settled in our lives. We don't want to come as if I get it all uh, fixed in my situations, God. But Lord, I come just as I are. Lord, you say, Lord, in your word that the Father seeketh such to worship Him. They that will worship Him in spirit and in truth, God. And so, Jesus, where, who, 
all of us, God, gathered here in this place, Lord, we are coming, Lord, with different struggles, God, different weaknesses, God, different, oh God, uh, failures, God, but Lord, we come not, oh God, trying to cover it up, oh God, but today, God, we come, Lord, just as we are, God, and Lord, you are inviting us with open arms, God. You are inviting us, Lord, to go back to that first love, oh God. Lord, just like David, Lord, that he would dance, Lord, and didn't care about what people think about him because all he wanted was the presence of God in his life, in his country. And Father, I pray today, God, let us, oh God, begin to worship you. Let us begin to live our lives, oh God, to be, Lord, that sacrifice, oh God, that will invite your presence back into our lives, oh God. Lord, some of us may feel, God, that, Lord, I'm feeling so dry in my walk with you, God. I don't feel the presence of God as I used to feel when I first became a Christian. I don't feel the presence of God as often as I want to. It's been a long time since I've cried in your presence, Lord. But God, I pray, God, help us go back to uh, God, our first love, oh God. Help us do our first works, God. Lord, even though it may be foolish, even though it may not make sense to me, even though it may not make sense to the world, I pray, Lord, that I will worship you, Lord. And, oh God, God, so that, Lord, your presence will come back into my life, God. It will come back into my homes, oh God. Lord, there is the only way, God, the people, God, in this world will know you, God, is if I will become a fool for you, is if I will be the salt of the earth, if I will stand out as the light of the world, God. So I pray, Jesus, God, Lord, as we leave this place today, oh God, Lord, and we want to make that commitment. If it's your desire today to recommit yourself to your first love, if it is your desire to go back to that one time when you were so on fire, you were so in love with God that all you wanted to do is just to be with Him, that all the decisions you made was just to please Him, even though you may look foolish. Lord, today, Lord, I want to recommit myself to that, God. Harakaya, Lord, let your foolishness, oh God, translate into the way I live, that I too will live as a fool for you, God. Haraka, so that the world will know you, so that I cannot boast, oh God, of my good works, God, so that the world will see, Lord, that you are real and alive, God, so that the world will see that there's something different about me, God. There is something different about my family, oh God, that I will not be afraid, that I will not be ashamed of the gospel, that I will not be ashamed of you, God. But Lord, I will be bold, God, that when people ask me, God, the reason for my hope, I will not tell them it's because of my own planning, but I will tell them it's because of my God that has saved me from my sins. It is because of my God that has saved my loved one from their sins. It is because of my God that has healed me from my sickness, that has delivered me from my depression, oh God. So Father, I pray today, God, as we are reminded of God, of your goodness, Lord, we want to say and respond back to you, God. Lord, help us, God, go beyond our fears. Help us push beyond the shame just like you, God. You endured the cross and you despise the shame, oh God. Let that be, oh God, how we live today, God. As we go back to our homes, Lord, this week, as we go back to our schools, as we go back to our workplaces, I pray, God, that when the opportunity arise, God, for me to decide whether to look good to the world or look like a fool for your sake, help me, give me the grace, give me the strength, God, to look like a fool for you, God, so that the world will know, God, and that you will be glorified, Jesus, Lord, because the world doesn't need another one that looks like them, but what the world needs are people of God, disciples of Christ who will stand for His Word, who will stand for the things of God, so that that is the only way, God, that they will 
be able to want to know more, that that is the only way that they will be able to taste and see of your goodness, that that is the only way they will come into contact, oh God, with the gospel, oh God, is if we will live, Harakai, as a true disciple, if we will live for your gospel, God, Harakai, in the name of Jesus, Lord, Harakai, I don't want to be a fool for the world. I want to be a fool for you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God. In the name of Jesus. If you are able to reach out to the person that's beside you, if it's appropriate, I want us to pray for one another. That Lord, in the midst of living out this life, God, Lord, I know sometimes living it out alone is difficult, God. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, as a body of Christ, God. Lord, that we are not alone in this, God. That whatever situation we may be dealing with, God, today, God, some of it are hard, tough decisions that I have to make. They may look foolish to the world, God. And sometimes I'm on the verge of giving in, God, giving it all up, God, just to please the world, just to please the people, God. But God, I pray today, God, that you will reignite in me a desire to stand for truth, God. That you reignite in me a passion and a desire to live all out for you, God. And Father, I pray today, God, that you will help me, help my brother, help my sister, God. Lord, that you will help us, Lord, that when my faith fails me, Lord, that you will be there, God. Lord, I pray that our faith fail not, Lord, this week. But Lord, I pray, God, that, Lord, as we live our lives this week, God, whether it's a circumstance, whether it's a trial we may be in, God, I pray that you will give us the strength, Lord, to hang in there, God, to hang in as a fool for you, God. That, Lord, we will not build our house, oh God, on shifting sand. We will not compromise, God, but Lord, we will stand firm, God. Lord, we will stand together, God, to build the culture of Christ, oh God, even though it may look foolish to the world, but Lord, we will recognize we are not alone in this, God, but Lord, help me to be an encouragement. Help us, oh God, to stir us one another up, up to love and to good works, oh God, so that the world will see, God, that you are God, so that the world will know that you are our Saviour, God. Lord, I pray that you will come through in every situation. Lord, I pray this week, God, that when we begin to stand for you, that when we begin to stand for your word, God, and we may make a fool of ourselves, Lord, Lord, we don't have to be worried, God, because we will never look like a fool, Lord. We will never make a fool out of you, God. But Lord, as we stand for you, I pray that you will confirm your word, oh God, with miracles, signs and wonders following, God. That when we stand for what is right, oh God, in your sight, Lord, that you will confirm, that you will step in, that you will manage Manifest yourself in a way, God, that the people, Lord, that do not understand will see a difference, that they will see something happen, God, in our lives, oh God, that is undeniable, God. Harakasia, so that ultimately you will be glorified, God. I pray, God, that you will encourage us today. I pray God, against any fear, against any shame, God, but I pray, God, for bonus, God, for courage, God. Help us to be brave for you, Lord Jesus. Even as we lead up, oh God, to Easter, as we lead up to Resurrection Sunday, God, Lord, I know that some of us may have people that you have put on our hearts and our minds that we want to reach out to, that we want to consider to invite, that we want to consider to walk across the room to share about your goodness, to serve them, oh God, to be a blessing to them, oh God. 
And Lord, I know sometimes, Lord, that thought is so scary, God. It looks so foolish, God. We are so afraid. We are so ashamed, oh God. But I pray this week, God, let us step beyond that shame. Let us step out of the boat, oh God. Let us reach out, oh God, to the people that do not know you. Let us try, oh God. Let us not give up, oh God. That even though we may look like we are going out on a limb, God, I pray that you will come true for us, God, in the name of Jesus, in our workplaces, in our schools, God, in our families, God. In the name of Jesus, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. In the name of Jesus. Once again, Father, we thank you, God. For your goodness, we thank you for your mercies, God, for your faithfulness, God. That Lord, that you never gave up on me, God. That you remained faithful, God, when I was faithless. And God, I pray that even if we may feel a million miles away from you, I pray that, that today, God, give me that faith and the courage to take the first step to turn back to you, God. Because Lord, it's never too late to get back to our first love, God. In the name of Jesus, God, and Lord, we thank you, God, for your protection, for your provision, Lord, as always. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Church, why don't we praise the Lord? Why don't we lift him up one more time before we leave? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, God. Amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a fool for Christ because that encourages me. Do not give up. Every time you stand up for Him, every time you may think that what you're doing is foolish to the world, don't forget that your act of foolishness for Him is contagious. It's, it makes me bold. When you step out of your comfort zone to please Him, it gives me the courage to, hey, you did it, I also can. Let's do it together. And that is why we are doing this together. We are not doing it alone. Amen. So why don't you greet someone on your left and right and say, will you be a fool for Christ together with me? Amen.